the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What makes Rose Cleaners the best in dry cleaning? They do my laundry the way I like it. The wonderful customer service. Personal quality. I have some things I like done with my clothes that I ask for, and it's always done. They do good work. I just love Rose Cleaners. Very excellent customer service, and uh, they've made me very happy since I've been here. They've got friendly employees when you walk in, and um, they haven't lost any of my clothes in 19 years. Rhodes Cleaners, serving San Antonio for over 20 years. And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's Word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation, a sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888 That's P.O. Box 18888 San Antonio, Texas 78218 Hi, I'm Eric Galindo Training Director for the FSI Training School For individuals and businesses we offer certification courses in CPR and First Aid through the American Heart Association and also the Vehicle Safety Inspector course for the Texas Department of Public Safety. Courses are available every week for your convenience. Call me, Eric, at 210-314-2615. That's 210-314-2615. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible, have fun, and win valuable prizes and resources for yourself, your family, your church, or favorite ministry. Here's how it works. Listen to the Bible Live Scripture Reading Program. Weeknights at 8. Not a program about the Bible, the Bible itself. Hear a 15 to 20 minute reading each weeknight. The entire Bible every year. Then on Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. So people ask questions from the past week's Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers, and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. We are in the house thanking you for joining us tonight for the Bible Live, the quiz show. Uh, my name is Soapy, and Jacob is across the table from me. We're ready to get started tonight with our 
Bible quiz program. We have read through our reading schedule for this past week uh, were two books, basically, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. We're finishing up the books of Ezra. We just began uh, just the first uh, three, uh, first three to four chapters on the well, part of last week's program, but now we read Ezra chapters 4 through 10, and then Nehemiah chapters 1 through uh, uh, 13 for this past week. And so we hope that you might will join us. We're going to consider these two books of the Bible. We do discuss and make our way through and ask questions about uh, every book of the Bible every year. Every year we make it through the entire Bible. And so tonight we read uh, Psalms, I mean this past week we read Psalms 90 through 94. So we'll ask you some questions from those chapters of the Psalms. And uh, as you know, we read the Psalms and the Proverbs uh, throughout the year. We have what we call the Wisdom and Worship segment with every reading. If you do go to BibleLive.com and are able to uh, stay with our reading program this uh, past week, you'll see that every every reading has a uh, a portion from the Psalms and the Proverbs. We call it the Wisdom and Worship segment. And so we'll ans- ask questions from those Psalms, 90 through 94, and then from the two books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, they knew each other, right, Jacob? Ezra and uh, Nehemiah. They not only knew each other, but uh, Nehemiah was what you and I would call probably a professional politician, and Ezra was like a religious leader. Right, okay. Uh, um, not a Levite exactly, but he was what is called a scribe, if I remember correctly. He One who, seemed to be correct. Yes. So there we go. And very... Uh, a great commitment, this Ezra. I've, I've come to admire him more and more. A tremendous commitment to the scriptures, to their authenticity, to their reliability, and to um, restoring the scriptures to a place in the uh, in the Jewish uh, society. Both of these uh, both of these uh, men, these leaders, were post uh, exiled. Both of them. Both of them exercised their ministry uh, after, and their function after the time of exile, the people of Israel returning to the land of Israel after 70 years in um, Babylon. So we have a kind of a whole new generation coming back to the, back to the land of Israel, uh, 40,000 or so, 42,000 if I remember the number correctly. I believe you may be right. Who made that, what is it, 1,000-mile journey or so back to back to Israel. So it was a 70 year journey. Really? Yeah, 70 years. Okay, but they, they were... didn't take them 70 years. I wonder how how long it did take them to make it what 20 miles a day uh to go something like a what would be a couple of months journey? Uh-huh. Well, probably. probably. At least at least. Maybe okay. I would think actually longer than that, but okay. Yeah. They were led away on what was called the King's Highway. Right. Yes. And why is that important to you Christians? Well, why is that important? Well, thank you for asking. Because uh, Messiah is supposed to turn on the same well, road? Well, you see, you, you that... know, in the beginning of the Gospels, you have that story about uh, Jesus. Mm, his father takes him down to Egypt, and he comes back. And, of course, there's a tomb there called Rachel's Tomb right along that highway, correct? Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, when you read that stuff, and a lot of people don't realize, that little introductory stuff, say, in the book of Matthew, is prophecy. 
You see, the Messiah must show the way back. So when he went down and he's coming back, he's actually leading you past. Because remember in the Matthew, it says something about the, uh, Rachel weeping? Yes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, the next verse says that she, if you could look it up and where it comes from in Jeremiah, and then the next verse it says when the, basically when the Messiah leads him back, she stops weeping. She's weeping for her messing children. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And what's fascinating is that she got buried there a long time in advance. Uh-huh. So anyway, so they came back on the same road they were led away in, you see. That's why Rachel was weeping. But but the road down to the road, the road that Rachel uh, the, evidently connected to that, that uh, portion about, wasn't that the road down to Egypt? It does head that way, and if you keep going that way, you can get to Egypt. But it also turns off, veers off, and goes to Babylon. Oh, okay. All right. Well, interesting. And so the, the road they were led down is where they came back. I don't know how we got into that. Yeah. But it is all about the land of Israel. In fact, may I say, I know before we started, <laughs> that Ezra, Nehemiah, is really returning to the land. And, you know, and I know there are some folks uh-huh. in the world that believe that the land of Israel really isn't necessary anymore because the other people, they feel that there's a covenant that supersedes that. I respect that. They have the right to their thoughts. Unfortunately, they are wrong. But, <laughs> uh, and, and, and if I may they have say, a right to be wrong, right? Well, and actually, my disappointment in disagreeing with them is only superseded by my joy in correcting them. <laughs> But, uh, but yes, actually, uh, you do seem to enjoy that. Greatly. Well, it's that because if indeed the Ezra and Nehemiah is only uh, has, uh, has historical reference, <clears throat> then it can only be read for historical reference. Other than that, we can just cut those two books right out of the Bible. Because, because, but the Jews don't take it that way. That is telling us that we must return to the land of Israel. In fact, one of the terms, since we're talking about Rachel and the tomb, is the Messiah must lead. One of the requirements is the Messiah must lead all Israelis, Jews, back to the land of Israel. If he doesn't do that, he's not the guy. And so I will suggest, in conformity with Jesus, Yeshua, uh, that he was, the story tells us that he was beginning the way back, showing them the way back, I uh-huh. say. Now, but that is a requirement. If it doesn't happen, then we have real problems. Now, I know that's a... that's a. Now, where, where do you find that, that, that the requirement for the Messiah is to... You'll find it both in Isaiah, you'll find it both in Jeremiah, and you'll actually find it in the beginning uh, verses of the book of Matthew. That's why that's telling about Rachel weeping stuff. That's telling you that he must lead them back. And that he did and well, he, because of his... One, one could say evidently. that he did, yes. Uh-huh. And so that is certainly the beginning. They're not all back today. At the end, all Jews are supposed to be back to the land of Israel and... The temple, the temple, is supposed to be a place of prayer for all people, not just Jews. True, I remember that. Uh, My house is a house of prayer sure. for all. Yeah. And therefore, it, that's one of the requirements. Now, those folks that would say the land of Israel isn't important, for if you understand the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, it seems to be very important. Well, both are centered on the return of the people yes, of Israel from Babylon yeah. to to the land, to yeah. Jerusalem, uh-huh. to Israel. Well, let's get some questions out there on the on the airways before we get going too too much further. Okay. I'll ask a few questions from Psalms ninety through ninety four, and you'll have some questions from Ezra and Nehemiah. Let's go to um, this first question. The oldest psalm 
in the Bible is Psalm 90. We read that, and it's a beautiful, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'm partial to it. It's a beautiful psalm if you've read it for as as poetry and it, the the sentiments that are that are expressed therein. A uh, beautiful psalm, Psalm 90, has some has some very interesting thoughts about time and uh, about God's relationship to time. Very very interesting. But the oldest psalm in the Bible is Psalm 90, written by whom? So who are we to say um, wrote Isn't Psalm? Isn't it remarkable 90? that that's who wrote it? Yes, it is actually. Uh, it's kind of out of time. I don't know how they found it and how how it got put into its place in the Psalms. There are five books of the Psalms, if I remember correctly, each of them relating to one of the books of uh, the Torah, uh, each of those sections of the Psalms in general. Is that also considered, uh, uh, is that a Jewish uh, scholars and so on? Do they actually, when they think of the books of the Psalms, a lot of people don't think, don't know the Psalms are divided into different books or sections. And uh, but I've I've read that they are they relate they correlate lightly or, or generally to uh, the yeah. books of the Torah. Is yeah. that is yeah? That well, yeah, certainly they do because what's in the Psalms is talking about basically the history, the religious struggles, and the land of Israel. So certainly they do relate, and you can connect many of the Psalms right to certain things, like there is a Psalm that actually talks about when they were led away into Babylon. Okay. Well, good. Well, let me go to question number three, another question. In order, uh, and I told you that Psalm 90 had a little bit of uh, a relationship to the idea of uh, how does God, the Creator, relate to time. And so one of the things that you would expect to see is that there is one of the Psalms, one of the verses in Psalm 90 that illustrates the shortness of life. Uh, how quickly life goes by. And, um, of course, I believe that more than ever now that I'm into my 60s. I, I think, well, yeah, that's true. It goes by. Where did the time go? Humans are compared to two things that appear and then quickly disappear. One of those things is grass, uh, that the life is like the grass that is there and and, uh, and then, of course, it, and it's gone, you know, dries up and it's gone. That's one thing. The, what is the other thing that uh, human life is compared to. In order to illustrate the shortness of life in Psalm 90, humans are compared to two things that appear, then quickly disappear. Grass is one of those. Uh, What is the other? And you'll find the answer in Psalm 90, verse 5. So there you have both of those uh, questions about Psalm 90 through 94, both of those coming from Psalm 90. You can... uh, Look this up, or if you know the answer off the top of your head, give us a call, 340-9585. And Jacob now has some questions from the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. <clears throat> Pardon me. Hey, Sophie, I'll tell you yep. what. Uh, let's do, because there are a few things when people read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, it seemed to trouble them, and it seems very okay. e- ethnocentristic. Mm-hmm. So let's begin, if you don't mind, with uh, year number six, which says, Shortly after arriving in Jerusalem, Ezra is told of the practice among some Jews living there that drives him to his knees in tears and remorse for Israel's sin. What sin was he confessing? The answer is in Ezra 9, one, Chapter 9, verse 1, yes. Uh-huh. Now, that's an interesting one. I find that very, that is really one of the most 
That's why I picked it, yes. It, it, emotional wow. and powerful wow. when you think of, of, of it. Uh, yeah, but go ahead and answer that for us, folks. 340-9585. Uh, shortly after arise, arriving in Jerusalem, Ezra is told of a practice among the Jews living there, and this practice drives him to his knees in tears and re- sadness for Israel's sin. What sin was it? What was this practice that was so bothersome to Ezra that drove him to uh, tears? Yeah, this is one of those things when people read their eyes, it sounds almost something that's abhorrent to us today. It sounds almost like something we think, oh, well, those terrible, terrible bad guys, Jews. Yeah, why would uh, they think that way? Yeah. So I, let's I, see if we can yeah. figure that out. That is one of the things I think is unfortunate. In some way, of the, and it's, a, it's a function of the language uh, uh, coming uh, from uh, Hebrew and into Greek and then whatever the translations are down, down to our languages today. Uh, it is, I can see why there is confusion about uh, the Jews and Israel, the people of Israel, the land of Israel and so on, because the way it's presented in the scripture, sometimes it doesn't make, it, it just used words and, and, and if we take it in the most common sense uh, way that it does sometimes lead, I think, it seems to me at least as I was growing up reading the scriptures, I never knew exactly anytime I wore, read the word Israel what it, who is it and what is it talking about? Is it talking about the land? Is it talking about the people? Is it talking about uh, God's people? Is it, you know, I'm I'm not quite sure. So it is a, it is a function of, of really Studying carefully, praying, and looking at it, and uh, I think maybe seeing the whole message, not just a given passage. But uh, you're you're right. That's the land and the people. This the use of the word Israel is something that I think that does cause confusion to a lot of us uh, as Gentiles who just read it like it is. We don't know exactly to what it, to what it's referring. So uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, anyway, that's okay. number six. Shortly after arising arriving in Jerusalem. Ezra is told of this practice among the Jews living there, and it drives him to his knees in remorse and tears for Israel's sin. What was the sin that he noticed taking place among the returning, those who had returned from exile? You'll find the answer in chapter 9, verse 1 of the book of Ezra. What else? You want another, yeah, another one, question from Ezra? We're one more from Ezra. Okay. Oh, you're number 9. What did... Well, I said, I think it's supposed to be they. What did they do to show they had not only regretted their sin, but that they were repenting, turning away from the sin. And it goes actually with the other one. It's chapter 10, verse 3. All right. And so the people's the, response yeah. to Ezra when he brought this up. And when you start reading this, and you know, they just read it cold, you think, wow, what, what a horrible thing to do. Yeah, it seems pretty um, pretty extreme, actually, when it you does, look at it. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. So we'll, we'll talk about it. Okay. What did the people do once Ezra pointed out this sin that he was uh, concerned about? What did the people do to show, to demonstrate that they not only regretted their sin, but they were repenting, they were turning away from their sin and back to God? That's found in chapter 10, chapter 10 of Ezra, verse 3. Right. Okay. It's the, way, it's the way the book ends, actually, isn't it? Well, actually, historically, Nehemiah Ezra was all one book originally. Is that right? Yes, now, that one I did not know yeah. exactly. So, so, all right. What we got is, uh, so we've got, uh, want to do a question or one? Or no, let's go Nehemiah? Go ahead and get our questions out of Nehemiah, okay. and then we'll okay. go get let's, Bernadette let's get Nehemiah underway, and Harold. Okay. Now, there's something, you're number five. This is fascinating to me, and perhaps we can discuss it. You're number five, Nehemiah. What was Nehemiah's job or position in the service of 
The king. It says king. It means, I guess, emperor, ruler. Um, the guy in charge of Babylon, sure. Okay. Uh-huh. And it answers in chapter 1, verse 11. Hmm. I just had a question about that myself. That uh-huh. I wonder if Nehemiah... Uh, I guess not. I don't know. I mean, I, these guys were involved with the scriptures and all, but I wonder if he ever wondered about or related himself and his role to Joseph, who also served not not the same emperor, not the, but he served as sure. in that same role or function. Mm-hmm. I wonder yeah. if Israel, if Nehemiah ever thought about that. I bet he did. I suppose. Oh, I bet. <laughs> he thought about all things biblical, I suppose. All right. Well, that's number uh, one from the book of Nehemiah. What was his job or position in the service of the um, Babylonian emperor? Right, Chapter me, one, verse 11. Want to do one more? Yes, please. Okay. Uh, as number two, let's do your number 15. Nehemiah 8 records that the people ask Ezra to read the Bible aloud to them. Uh, well, and actually, you're right. You've got a note here, Pentateuch. But yes, basically, that is correct what you say. He did. However, how did they respond? Answer is in chapter 8 of Nehemiah 5 through 9. That's touching. That's a very touching scene to me. If I, sometimes when, you, when these things happen in the Bible and I read about like an event like right. in Nehemiah chapter 8, sure. I wonder what, in my mind I wonder what that looked like because sometimes it talks about the people of Israel gathered and so on. And you think of all these tens of thousands of people and you wonder, how did that work? Did the whole country come together? Was this a, a meeting of everybody, in the, every Jew in the land? Or, or was this just the leaders? Was it the elders? Maybe you can give us some uh, insight of how we should visualize some of these things. But this was a very touching uh, incident. And Nehemiah chapter 8 records that the people ask Ezra to read the Bible to them, probably the uh, the first five books of the Scriptures, the Pentateuch, uh, when he did do that, he, I read it to them, which I like because, because that's, of course, part of the function of the Bible Live is we're uh, trying yes. to read the Bible and let the people hear the yeah. Scriptures more. So you expect Again, people listening to yeah. do what happened here? Maybe. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Oh, yeah. Uh, when, he, when, God, uh, when he did read the Bible to them, uh, how did they respond? Chapter 8, verses 5 through nine so there you go there are our questions one two three four five six questions out on the airways for you right now if you'd like to try to answer any of them and give us the answer to them um what you not try to answer but answer them you know you, well, you're give such a answer. nice guy you're a, you know i told somebody today i think i made a mistake and i said yeah sophie's so liberal and they said liberal and i said well what i meant is oh, you, i know boy that's yeah, a terrible I, word i know i and i didn't i said no no i meant i meant he's sophie is such a sweetheart he's kind to everybody he won't tell them they're nuts <laughs> i will tell them they're nuts <laughs> <laughs> well i, I I, if pushed to an extreme, I suppose I, w- I will yeah, at times. Well, but you're right. I'm a little yeah, bit of a... And so when you say try, I understand what you're yeah, saying. Because yeah. you're going to help them along so they really don't fail. I understand. You're, uh, a, nice, you're a nice guy. Thanks, Jim. Uh, uh, Jacob. So anyway, that'll that'll work. Uh, Here we go. 340-9585. 340-9585 is our phone number. You can give us a call. And I think we have uh, Bernadette is first up uh-huh. tonight. Bernadette is first, I And think. she is waiting for us here. Uh, hi, Bernadette. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Good to hear your voice. We're doing well. Thank you very much. And uh, 
Uh, how? Uh, what's going on in your world these days? Everything smooth and... Oh, yes, spending lots of time with the grandkids, which is just wonderful. That's what we ought to be doing at this time in our lives, right? Just uh, spoiling them rotten. That's what, that's what we do. I my, do what I can. My little grandboy got bitten by a wasp today. On oh, his, poor on, baby. A, a yellow jack on his hand. Oh, my lands, he yelled. And, of course, we all just made all kinds of... Gave him all kinds of attention. Bless his sweet little heart. But I guess that's, I was thinking that may be the most traumatic thing that's happened to him in his, his little two-and-a-half-year two life. Uh, and, oh, my land, bless his sweetheart. It, it was, yeah. We, well, I hope that's the worst thing that ever happens to him. Wouldn't that be nice? But yes, I, it frankly, would. I'm, I'm afraid it might not be, Bernadette. Well, listen, there's our music. I hadn't, it snuck up on me. We have to take our, our bottom-of-the-hour break. But I am uh, glad that you're there. Just before we uh, break off to do the break, can you stay on with us through the break, Bernadette? Certainly, yeah. Well, were you going to answer one of the questions, or do you have something uh, else on your mind? No, I was actually going to answer a couple of your questions. Okay, good, actually. Good. Well, we'll come back to those. Bernadette's got some thoughts about the questions we put out there. You can give us a call as well. 340-9585 is the phone line here at the Bible Live Quiz Show. 340-9585. Bernadette will stay on the line with us through the break. And uh, you'll come. You'll stay with us as well. And call. give us a call during the next segment, all right? I'm lost Dr. Stan Shelton with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway has taken care of the Dollar family that's Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to drshelton.com or call 590-7878. I want you to meet my friends at the Laptop Specialist. Pioneers since 1982 in serving the military, business, and personal computing needs of our city. Our ministry depends a lot on our computers. And whether it's repairs, service, upgrades, or even the purchase of a new machine, the James family and their great staff keep our equipment working, freeing us to do what we're called to do. Go to thelaptopspecialist.net or call 344-4563. 344-4563 for their two locations. The Laptop Specialist. Well, Elizabeth and I went to Express Lube, and our experience was fabulous. We got in and out of there in literally 20 minutes. When we went to work and we had got our oil done before, it would take us two hours. The service was very friendly. You can really trust them. They were super courteous. They vacuumed out the entire front of the car, which was surprising. I didn't very expect nice. they received that kind of service. And their name is their game. Express Lube is accurate for the name of their store. And with 23 stores, there's an Express Lube near you. Nature's Factor carpet cleaning expert, Shayla James. What makes Nature's Factor better than the older carpet cleaning processes? Older systems saturate your carpet, leaving your space unusable, sometimes for up to a day because of their long dry times, plus leaving you with the risk of fungus and the dangerous chemicals left in your carpet. With Nature's Factor, our quick dry time makes your home or office space usable almost immediately, while our green solutions eliminate the possibility of fungus and are perfectly safe for your children and pets. Nature's Factor, carpet cleaning for the 21st century, 831-3535. Thanks for listening. This is Michael Youssef. I'm Alistair Begg. This is Chuck Swindoll. Hi, Steve Brown of Key Life. This is John MacArthur with Grace to You. This is R.C. Sproul. 
This is Chuck Colson. Hello, everyone. This is James Dobson. Hi, this is Bob Lapine from Family Life Today with Dennis Rainey. You're listening to The, the Word in South Texas. AM 630. AM 630. AM 630. KSLR. If you're new to San Antonio and want to find a church that fits your needs or just want to learn more about a church in the area, go to the church directory page at kslr.com. That's kslr.com. The blood that Jesus shed for me. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. that drum solo uh, comes back with there. We are back. This is the quiz show. I got Bernadette on the line with us still, and she's going to help us out answering some of these questions. Uh, Do you like the questions from the Psalms, Bernadette, or those from Ezra and Nehemiah? Actually, I have answers uh, for you on Psalm 90 and something from Ezra. Oh, great. I love Psalm 90. It's just a beautiful psalm about life, about uh, time and so it tells us a lot about God Himself, uh, but also I think it just touches uh, all of us. I don't know. Somehow, maybe when we're older, we relate to it more because when you're young, you think you know you're going to live forever and all. And, and then when we get older, we realize how fast time has gone by in, in a sense. But uh, the oldest book in the Bible is Psalm 90. I suspect you well, know not, who. Not book. Oh, the oldest Psalm. You're yeah. exactly right. Yeah. The, the oldest Psalm. Uh, and I suspect you know who it was written by. Yes, Moses. It was Moses himself. Isn't that amazing? There's a psalm there written by Moses. There's more than one, but isn't that amazing? Yeah, I think so. And then verse 5 says, Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as asleep. The, as asleep. In uh, some versions, put the, as a dream. Oh, okay. Uh, as a grass, uh, the grass is one illustration of the shortness of life, and the sleep or a dream is like it's over and it's there and it's gone uh, is another illustration of the shortness of life. Thank you very much. Those are both exactly right. The answers we were looking for, at least, Bernadette. Now then, let's see. Maybe you can uh, answer some of these others from Ezra and Nehemiah for us as well. I'd love to... With Ezra, um, the thing he was complaining about was intermarriage, which a couple of our rabbis have also complained about. Oh, uh, even today's time as well. Oh, oh, yes, definitely. Okay, well, uh, well let's, we're going to talk a little bit about what that means, but has that, uh, Jacob brought it out, I think, as a, a reality. A lot of people read that in today's climate, in today's society, and in today's uh, mores and norms. And we think of that as being very ethnocentric and very, uh, oh, that's racist in a way and so on. Um, how do you view it? Maybe you can give us some of your thoughts about it. it I, I, 
Personally, I don't object to intermarriage as long as the children are raised as Jewish. But obviously, you know, it's a problem if... Um, yeah. it, it depends whether it's a man marrying um, someone who's not Jewish or a woman marrying someone who's not Jewish. That makes a difference, huh? It, well, obviously it does, yes. Well, why obviously? I'm... I'm in my mind, I know the difference between men and women. I know that, but I'm, why it would be a difference from a man for a woman in terms of marrying someone uh, outside of the faith? Because any um, child born from a Jewish womb is Jewish, but it doesn't work the other way. Uh, okay, from the male side. Just, right. I see what you Yeah, the only. Um, yeah, the reform will acknowledge the children of a Jewish man are Jewish, but no, no other uh, Jewish sect does that. Very interesting. I, I, I'm looking forward to uh, yeah. Jacob and you guys informing me a bit about this. I, I get it, and I, I, I think I don't know if you probably listen to the program frequently enough to know that I, I, I kind of struggle with this, and I've and I've made it clear as I read through the Bible. You know, most of my life. I've, uh, been walking with the Lord since I was eight years old and involved in ministry in all these years, actually many, 45 years now in the mission field and talking with the scriptures and uh, to people here and, and frankly, uh, opportunities we've had around the world is, uh, in Europe and so on. And and more and more as I, I've gotten into the scriptures and further and further and, uh, and I've grown older, I, I see... I, I, this, this whole th- the thing and the position, the use of the word Israel, I, I've I'm never quite sure, and I think it's something that's being discussed widely today, um, I, I suppose both in Jewish and in Christian circles. Uh, what is it meant when it talks about even uh, Israel? Or, or uh, it's, it's puzzling to me still. I, I have a, well, I, I biblically, with Israel refers to us. To the Jews. Being... Uh, the ethnically, the descendants, the DNA genetic descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, except you call people converts. like Ruth, and then or, you, yeah. or you know, That's, and so, or converts. Yeah, wait, I, I wait, Sophie. So you just mentioned something that I was waiting for the proper time to intervene, but since you, you know, you change the question, you get a different answer. Okay. Tell so me what well, I did. First, well, first let Bernadette. Finish. Was it really? Was it a sign of, yes. of incredible intelligence and insight, or was I, it? I couldn't interpret it anyway, but. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jacob and I are Israel. Okay. And 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 other uh, and let's say uh, believing Christians are not. Oh, I'm not going to touch How that with a ten that? foot pole. <laughs> fortunately, well, I was just, fortunately, we have an eleven foot pole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah we, uh, well, okay. That's you know, obviously there's a country of Israel now, and yes. I do thank God for that. A political country, yes. You know, I wish that it had been around. You know, obviously I would have a lot larger family if Israel had been around during World War Two. Right, exactly. As it stands right now, I have one third cousin twice removed in Israel and Tel Aviv. That's my entire family on my mother's side. Just her. Right. And Bernadette, you are actually the child of uh, survivors from the Holocaust, are you not? Yeah, my mother survived the Holocaust, yes, which is why I'm here. That's why Bernadette is with us. And now I have four grandchildren, and so I think I've done my part. 
<laughs> you did good, girl. That's right. Well, exactly. thank you. <laughs> We're proud of you. Well, you have answered some good questions for us. I, I, I guess I will get you. I'll give you an opportunity to clarify one other thing for us. This was a powerful moment in the uh, in the history of the people of Israel. This when when Ezra, this um, this scribe uh, who very committed to the scriptures, teaching the people the scriptures, and so on. He. Uh, he try he sees this practice among the Jews that have returned now from Babylon to Israel of them intermarrying with pagan wives and is very concerned about it. He weeps about it. He confronts the people and we see that how do they respond to the, the, his correction? You would think maybe they would in the, you know, in the turtle in, in the present uh, political climate, you know, people, Sometimes uh, they totally reject authority and they don't want that. And they tell him, you know, it's none of your business who we marry and all that sort of thing. But in this particular case, they respond to his his concern uh, in, in a very and almost a surprising way. But I, I think it's uh, it's, it's yeah, a rather touching scene that we have. How did they respond to Ezra when he told them that he they should not be doing that? They responded. They thought they should be put to the sword. And you, you notice that he talks about princes marrying. Yes, exactly. You know, and so because the wives are not Jewish, the children are not Jewish, and that's the problem. Okay. Uh, now's the perfect segue. Okay. As Bernadette said, she said it's even a concern today. Now, uh, there are rabbis that absolutely will not perform what we call an intermarriage. Suppose you have a Catholic and a Jew. And there are in the Catholic Church, they will not perform a marriage. Can you hear me, Bernadette? Yes. Okay. Uh, there are, you know, I understand many Catholic priests will not perform unless both parties are Catholic. However, I will say this, that the intermarriage issue is exactly what's taking place in Ezra, is the fact that these women had not converted. Today, let's say a person, man or woman, converts, they will be fully accepted and fully married by any rabbi. But as Bernadette said, if they do not convert, then many rabbis will not perform that marriage because of the confusion to the family. And it will, and it is true, exactly what she said. If born to a, a Jewish mom, you're Jewish, and the reform generally will accept the father if the child is raised Jewish. And yet, in, in spite of that... The, the mandate itself and the correction that we see here in the book of Ezra, really, it really had more to do with faith than, it do, than with genetics, well, right? It had to do, the, the woman you're talking about, by the way, do you know how many women there were? I think it says, actually. Yeah, in the it's 100, 113. So, okay. yeah, but who's know, counting? Yes. But, but on the other point, you know, if you're the one of the winners, you know, it's very bad, very painful. <clears throat> but the, the reason it's emphasized in pagan is this is that these women did not convert. They maintained their Moabite gods, their Ammonite gods, and these other religions. And so they had a situation where there had to be a decision made. Uh, they would either have to convert and be, you know, uh, the, uh, I accept the idea of the one God of Abraham, Israel, mm -hmm. Isaac, and Jacob, mm -hmm. or uh, I guess that the husband could make the decision that he would have to leave with his wife and children because... His wives would his wife would not be Jewish, but if they converted, they were not concerned and not included in this particular group of women that was being complained about by Ezra by the intermarriage. So to consider this entirely or even primarily a 
an ethnic or racist type mandate and and so on would actually we really are actually he really was talking to to them about faith about their being uh, Jewish in the in the spiritual sense well, of and I'm going to accept your word faith but I'm going to say more the idea of religion as opposed to faith. Because, oh, okay. But but Alex, I'll, I'll work with your word faith. Okay. But, uh, but the point is... He didn't want them to be marrying unbelievers, people who did not believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Yes, if they converted, uh-huh. like we have, as on the Shavuot we just had, the Jews read the book of Ruth. Uh-huh. She's a Moabite. A Moabitess, yeah. Exactly. Is she, is she, I'm glad you brought that up. That's right. She converted, uh-huh. and she was fully accepted. Now, had she insisted yeah, on Yeah, she married Boaz and God, comes into the ancestry right, even of exactly what we understand Exactly so, to be but had she insisted on having her own gods, and those are some pretty bad gods that want killing mm-hmm. children and other things, that would just is not acceptable. So okay. if, now I want you to picture this. Let's suppose that back at this moment, you had married a woman from a religion that believed mm-hmm. faithfully in her religion, and she believed that you may have to kill your firstborn child so uh-huh. you can get into wherever you're going in uh-huh. her uh-huh. view of religion. Would you want that being lived in among people who believe? You can't accept uh-huh. that. Well, uh, well, Christians and the people of faith in, in a relationship with God, uh, particularly the biblical faith, we do the same thing. I know when I grew up, I realized early on that I I was not going to uh, marry uh, a girl who did not share my faith. Mm-hmm. There was not uh, also a follower of a Messiah or, you know, Jesus and have a commitment to following the Lord and all. So and uh, some of the relationships, uh, friendships I had or dating relationships or what growing up, I did actually, the girl and I liked each other and all were friends, but we did decide mutually that no. We're 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 not on the same track spiritually. We're not, and and so the decision was made. It wasn't made on any basis of racist or ethnic idea. You know, these Apaches can't be intermarrying with you know white folk or whatever. You know, the idea. But it was more. So that's kind of the way I'm saying that we could interpret this and understand that that without it being a racist or ethnic necessarily at its bottom or or an ethnic mandate or an ethnic um, development here. I know in, in a reformed place uh, here in town uh-huh. that, uh, and to show you how it works, there was a gentleman that married a Jewish lady. Uh-huh. Uh, at the time they got married, he was not Jewish. Uh-huh. They would not marry them. So he went someplace else, they got married, but when they returned, since he was already married, they accepted him because their duty, as they saw it, was not to create a situation where there's going to be disharmony and conflict in the marital home. Now, later, this person, the man, converted. And I'm not going to say any names, but I know Bernadette probably knows who I'm talking about. And yeah, he, probably. Yes. And he ended up being the president of that institution, that Jewish <laughs> institution here in town. Oh, How about that? Yeah, that's a great story. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I get it. And uh, so anyway, that I, I, I guess among the two of you, that is... For us uh, as as Christians, sometimes we li- we read the scriptures and we see these things. And it mentions it, and it says all these different situations and all these different. Uh, uh, mm, it, it uses the word Israel, and sometimes it's talking about the land. Sometimes it talks about the actual descendants, uh, the ethnic or uh, you know genetic descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Sometimes it's talking about the faithful, the, the people who worship the true and living God and faithfully follow Him. Uh, and so I, I guess in my mind that's what I've come to, and we've talked that, about that before. 
that I've come to think of Israel now as people well, who me, truly follow look, the, the I know true and rabbi, living God. I know a rabbi, 10th generation rabbi, has got two boys, they're both rabbis, very, very well-known rabbi out of New York, and he'll be the first to tell you that, look, Judaism is a religion. It's not really a people. It, Judaism is a religion. Is it open to anybody? Yes. Can anybody convert? Yes. And just like a Jew could go convert to be a Baptist. So you can, except there, and most, uh, from my experience, Catholics, Baptists, they many times will not perform a marriage uh-huh. uh, with somebody that has a different religion, different faith. They just don't feel it's the right thing to do. And indeed, among the rabbis, they won't do that. I don't want to put you under any kind of duress or stress about this, Bernadette, with my question. But I was, if you don't mind answering, I'm wondering, you said you wouldn't touch that other question with the, you know, the long 10-foot pole. But uh, as you look at you know, 21st century, modern-day uh, Christians, followers of Jesus, do you, do you consider them as, uh, in a sense, part of Israel in your mind? Or how do you... How do you um, I'm just kind of kind of exploring the extents of your yeah, understanding of, of how do you apply Israel, the, Israel, no, the word I, Israel? I do believe that they they have been grafted onto the Jewish faith. That I believe. That's told us in the even in the New Testament. Paul mentioned yeah, it. Jesus that I believe. To mention it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. I I think it's um to me as it, from the Christian side, I've just. I'd say in the last uh, maybe even 10, 15, 20 years, I've really come to understand that more than ever before. I mean, the Bible, it says it right there in the Bible. You know, we're, we're grafted in. We've become part of Israel and so on. Uh, and now I've really begun to see, oh, I I can see it now in a very in a clearer way than ever before, particularly having uh, now been through the Scriptures a number of times and reading through the Scriptures and knowing Jacob and, and us, our conversations. It seems more and more evident to me. But I, I was just curious, uh, from both sides, this seems, uh, are we coming to have that mutual understanding about May I tell you real quick what the official, there's probably individuals with different points of view, but the official position on, uh, in the Jewish world among Christians, I can tell you what it is. Would you be interested in knowing? Uh, yeah, I think I would, uh, but I, I'm a little wary of that word official. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it's the official law. <laughs> like you said, if say. there are five Jews, there'll be what? Yeah, yeah. Eight opinions or something yeah, like that? Right, yeah. But here's the point. Okay, there are three forms of heresy. One is somebody that says um, that there's another God. Uh-huh. That's heresy. Uh, worse than that is taking like God, the God of the Bible and saying that there's another God that does his stuff. That's another form of heresy. The worst Attributing to another God. Yeah. The, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Or, and now the worst form of heresy in the Jewish world is to say there is no God. And now, if I were to say to you, uh, in your instincts, do you think that somehow applies to Jesus? Just, I'm just asking you, in your instincts from the three I gave you. Uh, which one, or, or, or uh, do any of them? You were not listening. Yeah, none of them. None of, none of them would apply. Excellent, yeah. because you know, the official... I was listening. Uh, <laughs> uh, the official position is on Christians. The Jews consider Christians, officially, it's even in the Talmud, it's part of the, the Jewish law, uh-huh. uh, is that Christians are considered part of, basically, uh, while they have to follow something called the no-eyed laws, they are considered to be part of Israel because they do not consider to look at Jesus as being an idol, 
a foreign god, attributing things. They consider, I know this word may be a little difficult, but we'll Mm. work through it. They consider Jesus to be in partnership with God. And Jesus is leading the non-Jew to the real God, and therefore they do not consider Mm. Christianity to be a heresy. That's the official position. Well, how about that? I, and, I, and that kind of jives as well, Bernadette, with what you were saying and your your thoughts of, uh, about that situation. I, I, I'm, I'm hoping we can um, continue to see some progress on that in terms of, uh, I mean, I'm not in some kind of um, uh, crusade to see this or anything, but I think it's a healthy thing that that we, we, we do. When I be, began to discover in my own experience that, hey, you know, I worship Jehovah, the the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I respect the scriptures of, of the the Jewish scriptures. I um, I, I believe you in and follow the, the Jewish Messiah. You understand that not all Christians you know? do, though, correct? Say again. You understand that not all Christians feel as you do. Oh yes, I do. I understand yeah. that, and I that's oh, part good, of I think good why point. We, that's a good the, point, Bernadette. Now, said. I Jacob has convinced me, you know, that Christians are not the enemy. And I believe him. But in my lifetime, I have experienced sure. a lot of anti-Semitism. Of course. I didn't grow up in America. I grew up in Europe. Uh-huh. And so I'm a little more tentative in embracing Christians than Jacob is. Well, he had a long journey to where he is now as well. I think all of it seems like most of the folks that I've met, Jewish folk that have made that journey, it has been a long journey. It's been a difficult one because uh, so a lot of things have been done in the name of Christianity and so on that that um, would cause that kind of confusion. But, yeah, I, I, I understand it perfectly. And um, it, uh, hopefully we're... And we're if I may say, when the Nazis marched into different countries, they had on their belt buck- buckles <clears throat> in German, of course. Do you know what it said? Something about God, I believe. It says, God is with us. Uh-huh. Now, that, when you read that, and I know, and you know the friend of mine, it's a Holocaust survivor, he's 80, about 89, uh-huh. He was so th- thinking they were good people, he ran home and told his family, his grandparents, hey, these people aren't bad. They believe in God. And the God buckle that says God is with us. After, after he grew up and he lost 70 members of his own family in the camps, he didn't believe their belt buckle anymore. <laughs> it was that second heresy. It was another God, a different God. Um, uh, perhaps that was uh, what he, the learning experience there. Yeah, I know this great, great man that, uh, that Jacob refers to. Well, Bernadette, you're gracious and kind to call us up. Anything else you'd like to add? Maybe some of your comments or thoughts? Uh, no, I always love no, to hear I from you. I've been quite enough. Good for you, Carol. We're <laughs> glad, glad to hear from you. God bless you greatly. And uh, call us back anytime. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Thank you, Bernadette. Bye-bye. Yes, I, I do enjoy hearing from Bernadette. And uh, you can give us a call as well, 340 340- Ninety-five, eighty-five. If you'd like to answer, let's put a couple more questions out there to replace. She answered four questions for us. Let me uh, give you a couple questions from Psalms, and then uh, Jacob will give add two more questions from the Book of Ezra. Then we'll go to Harold and other calls as well that might be coming in for the Bible Live Quiz Show tonight. Let's see. Let's get some more questions. Um, um, let's go to Psalm. Young man. Psalm ninety. Let me. Uh, let me take this one. While tempting Jesus in the wilderness, most of you remember the, in the book of uh, John, I think in the book of Luke as well, after Jesus' uh, baptism by his second cousin, John the Baptist, um, a Levite uh, that God Jesus went to so that all righteousness would be fulfilled. He didn't go to the corrupt 
uh, Levite and, and and so on, those who had bought their 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 priesthood in the in the corrupt hey, temple so of that look era. At this. But okay. Uh, anyway, hey, go ahead. So yeah, exactly. So uh, the question is, while uh, while tempting Jesus in the wilderness after his baptism, Satan comes and, and tempts Jesus. We're told in in uh, I, I believe it's John um, four, or maybe it's Luke, uh, Matthew or Luke that I'm talking about here. But you remember the incident, I hope. Um, Satan quoted from Psalm 91. That's why I was leading up to this. The question comes from Psalm 91, where God promises to send angels to keep the godly from any harm at all, even from striking their foot. Oh, even from striking. Okay, I'll turn the, I'll turn the question around. Even from striking their foot on something. All right, let's make the question about the thing that they strike their foot on. Okay, Psalm 91 God promises to send angels to keep the godly from harm, even from stubbing their toe on what? All right, that's the question from Psalm 91. And let me give you a question from Ezra. It says, um, from the book of Ezra, which king of Persia researched the archives, went to the file cabinet, and found the original order to rebuild the temple and authorize the Jews to resume construction of the temple in Jerusalem. Which king of Persia researched the archives, uh, found the original record, the original order to rebuild the temple, and authorized the Jews to go on to resume construction of the temple in Jerusalem? You'll find the answer in Ezra chapter 6, verse 1. Um, any other question from Ezra, Jacob? No, that pretty well All right, let's go to our land and just... As we yeah. head toward the top of that the yard, let's Harold. go and pick up Harold on line one here. Hey, Harold, how are you this evening? Oh, we got a glad to hear from you. Good to hear you, okay. Harold. We've got just a little time before our top of the hour break. What's what's going on? You want to answer a question? Yeah. You got a comment on your heart tonight? <clears throat> well, like I was saying, it's really good to hear your voice and everything. I didn't call in last week because I was, I missed about it. Eight days of work in the last month. I've been sick with a sinus infection, and uh, I'm kind of being spiritually detained. Are you getting over it now? Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, a whole lot better. I went back to work Friday, but um, you know, it's. I try to save some time because I'm married already. All right, that's (laughs) but um. Yeah, but um, I was going to ask a question about Nehemiah, and it happened to be that verse 5, chapter 8, verse 5. Uh-huh. Go ahead. And, uh, oh, you got your music going? Well, just slightly. We've got a, still a little time here. What is the question? Uh, you well, well, I was going to tell you real quick, you know, since I didn't call last week, um, uh, I, I called my mother up yesterday, and I was telling her how I washed out this thing, and she started talking about my dad and started crying real bad and she had reminded me that yesterday was the exact day that my dad passed away on the 25th uh, last uh, Saturday. All right. We will have to take our time to break off right quickly. We'll come back. Breathe on me, breath of God. Bring my life close to your spirit. Focus 
This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. And we are back. Our final segment for the quiz show. It seems like tonight's program are, are just flown by. Yeah. Okay. We are back. And we were on the line before our break with uh, Harold, who is talking to us a little bit. We're reading the books of Ezra and Nehemiah this past week. That's our focus and our questions tonight. Uh, um, Bernadette has called in, and we've had a great conversation about. Uh, this concept of Israel, whether it's a people, whether it's a land, whether it's a government, whether and uh, kind of dealing with it again. We've talked about it a number of times, but uh, very, very enlightening yeah. what uh, Bernadette has added to our conversation. Harold is on the line as well now, and uh, we were just talking, Harold. You were saying that y- your illness and now something, uh, your mom as well. And No, well, yeah, no, I also hadn't get to the Bible saying, but, you know, I just wanted to say I, I really sorry about last week, and I didn't even make it to Pastor Kim's church over there at the Antioch Baptist Church, and, you uh-huh. know, like I said, I I really did miss that, well, and uh, I think next you. time if I end up in a hospital, uh, yeah, I'm going to call anyway. We forgive but, you. But, um, <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much. You know, so, the, um, so, I guess the question is, is the state of Israel the Israel of God? And you had mentioned chapter 8, verse 5 in Nehemiah, and honestly, I actually had my Bible open to that, uh-huh. and I was going to read that chapter at uh, verse 5, and I think that verse 5 is something that says, it, it talks about the future, as for, I think, uh-huh. the future of how it's going to be Israel, and, you know, I'll read if you want me to. It sure, says, I'd like and to Israel. Okay, and Ezra opened, this is uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 5, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. Verse 6 says, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Now, I think, yes, okay, this happened then, but I think this is a, a glimpse into the future where it's going to happen again, and I'm not saying that Christians are left out and it's only for Jews. I mean, when my wife and I got married, you know, we didn't, the way we're raised, you know, we, we didn't particularly say, are you a Christian, are you this, are you that, and I, I love you, you know, that's what we said. And God has a way of, of you know, working things out, you know, sure. and I really do believe that, you know, and... um um, one thing that I think is rational, it's logical to think that God's perspective of our human condition and of our of our of these questions about our faith and so on, that his perspective mm-hmm. is far superior to ours. And I guess that's what we're we're trying all to struggling. I think I would suspect that well, all of us are struggling would, and to find what is that what is the biblical or God's perspective of these matters. And I well can I that, ask Carol that's why I think question? my yeah, well, you know what I was going to say real quick is that's where I think my faith in God from a child has led me to this point, or led us to this point in my life. And and for a lot of people, it does start out with faith. And thank God for for uh-huh. for faith, because sometimes we don't have anything else but faith. Thank God. And then God. later on, sir. 
I said, thank God there's a God. Yeah, exactly right. There you go. Okay, Jacob, did you want to say something? I've been Uh, talking a lot. I guess I'm nervous. Since you read that verse, uh, prior to that verse, uh, well, prior to that verse, in chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 5. He had had read the 5, but let's back up a little bit, and it says, uh, uh, they brought uh, Ezra the scribe to bring the scroll of the the Torah of Moses, which God had commanded to Israel. Number two, on the first day of the seventh month. Unfair question. Take any uh, dodge you'd like, Harold. Do you know it tells us the day this scroll was read? Do you know what day that is? And it says in verse two, it says on the first it the day Sabbath? of the seventh month. Was it the Sabbath? So was it the Sabbath? Well, it would be a Sabbath, so we got to give you credit for that. Okay, my my actual Bible gives a day October eighth. I don't know what that. No, no. What would I that mean, would that be? Well, there's no way I want to guess that. Give this a title. It's going to be some feast. I know some feast. Yeah, would it be a Yom Kippur? Oh, you are so close. This is embarrassing. Uh, Yom Kippur. What so, comes just before Yom Kippur? Well, that Toby's good. What is before Yom Kippur? Yeah, what comes, uh, Harold, it's, what's just before Yom Kippur? Quick. I know. All that other stuff. Unleavened bread or oh. Yeah, all that. Uh, I forget where the Passover and all that. Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah. Yeah. I'm just kind of breaking up a little bit for some reason. that means it's the new year. Oh, Ah, okay. So, so it happens the head of the year, the new year. So what we got here is this verse that Harold accurately read. It actually gives us the date. So what's happening? This is being read on Rosh Hashanah. And that's uh, about a week prior to Yom Kippur. Now, on Rosh Hashanah, this is very, very important, and if you're not familiar with it and you read it, you'll just pass it over. Uh, get it? Pass over. Anyway, so, uh, so, okay. so, okay, here's what's going on. On Rosh Hashanah, what we got is this day is the day, it is the beginning of repentance, and for the next week, you go make amends and all, to all the people you have wronged. On Monday, say, you know, take care of all the people you did wrong to on Monday, on Tuesday, all the people on Tuesday. But you have the whole week to fix this, or 10 days, actually, uh-huh, ten, uh-huh. 10 days. And then occurs Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur, there's an all-day prayer service. And on Yom Kippur, you apologize only to God. So right. you are supposed to make amends with all the other human beings between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. It's about 10 days. So, And what happens is... And then when you stand in front of God, you can say, look, God, I violated your laws. I'm sorry. Hey, forgive me. And, you know, I really in my heart changed because I went and I found the guy I took the 100 bucks to and I gave him 200 bucks or whatever. You know. So you're, so you're making a human uh, amends to the person you have wronged. So when you show up on Yom Kippur and the prayer books only talk about God on Yom Kippur. All right. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, one thing I'd so, like us to do. Anything else to add, uh, Harold? Well, the only thing I would from, say from Ezra is so to Nehemiah. Go ahead. Well, the way I understood that verse has that doesn't have to do with the state of Israel then at all. That that we need the state of Israel because you know God's hand was involved in uh, the creation of Israel. Obviously, sure. I think so. I don't know. I just thought that verse had everything to do with Israel being a state. It is. It has to because they're coming back to Israel. The purpose of Ezra and Nehemiah is to tell the Jews 
that, look, for this wrong you've done, as it said back in Leviticus, you're going to be out of here for 70 years because the land of Israel is supposed to be holy, holy by God's laws. And he doesn't allow anybody to do wrong there, even Jews. So they had to go. It has to do with Shemitah and all that uh-huh. business. They went out, and then they came back. So what lesson have we learned? The Jews have learned, and I wish I could get all the Christians to grasp onto this, there's that the story and understanding is, okay, so you're exiled. You take because you sinned. You're paying for your own sins, in other words. And then, but you will come back because God said you must come back. And therefore, it ties right into the idea of the Messiah that he will lead the Jews back. And when he returns, and for the Christians the second time, for the Jews evidently the first time. <laughs> uh, but so he will... He will Teach all things about God's laws and the real meaning of God's laws. So when the Messiah comes back, he is going to end up in Israel, the state of Israel, the one we know today. If he shows up and he goes into New Jersey or Australia, he's not the right guy. (laughs) Yeah, he's supposed to. That's Jacob, I think. Yeah, his foot foot is supposed to land on on, um, Mount of Olives, if I understand correctly, when when he returns. Yeah. And that's what the Christians want, right? That's what that's I say. The way it's written. Come, Lord Jesus. And I, 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 but but yeah, I think it's not a matter of so much of what we want, but it says it says it in black and white. It says very clearly when he returns, he's going to return to that mount, to that place, and to that city. So I suspect uh, there seems to be. I've never seen anyone debate that, even among Christians who have a lot of different opinions. Well, opinions we all know as well. this. We know that there was no. Let's say for about 2,000 years, there was no geographic area called Israel. So he couldn't have. Now there is a geographic Israel. Interesting. And now he can. All right. Well, Harold, thanks oh a lot God. for coming. I'm going, to I'm, going to, Jacob. I'm going to jump us over to another topic. Uh, over, I want us to finish. Thank you, Harold, for giving us a call tonight. Okay. Now, what I'd, what I'd like to do, Jacob, is move from we've kind of focused in on Ezra quite a bit. Yeah. Let's move and talk a little bit about Nehemiah, sure. uh, because they are two different individuals. They they were uh, contemporaries. Obviously, they were at the same event together. Uh, as you said before, Nehemiah was a government functionary, uh, a politician, you might say, a governor. And uh, Ezra was uh, a scribe or a re- religious in his uh Vocation. So now we have these two guys. Now Ezra is more or less focused on and most well known, I guess, in that sense, in terms of the rebuilding of Israel and the return of the people to Israel, that he superintended and guided the reconstruction of the temple. Uh, he, that was his focus to to rebuild the altar and to establish again the temple, the worship. He was he was interested in that that spiritual. Uh, aspect of the yes. th- this new dimension. Yes, Nehemiah, sir. on the other uh-huh. hand, uh, was, of course, a very spiritual man, loved God with all his heart, but he was interested in the reconstruction of the wall around the walls, the physical walls around the city of Jerusalem, and the, 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 the rebuilding of the culture, the society, the, uh, the, the norms, the laws, the way they functioned and, and as a people. So, is that a fair yeah, evaluation of the two? absolutely They fair. both had different functions. They, both men who truly uh, seemed to love God and wanted to serve God, but they had those different uh, aspects. Talk to me a little bit about Nehemiah. Uh, we have a question out there. What was Nehemiah's job yes. or position in the service of the king? Yes. And uh, we'll go ahead and answer that since no one's called in to answer it. He was... 
a cupbearer, just like Joseph was a cupbearer to the Pharaoh down in Egypt. Well, here now, centuries later, Nehemiah is a cupbearer for, was it Xerxes or Artaxerxes? Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes, right. Uh, And so uh, if... Here he is, a cupbearer to this, to this emperor who has a god complex. Uh, his emperor, he's extremely powerful. He rules a great part of the known world, of the civilized world hey, look, of that time. It's good to be king, you know. Yeah, yeah evidently so. What? And, and he has this incident. He, it's a very nerve-wracking incident where he appears to the emperor, and the emperor says, "Why are you sad? You're not supposed to be sad in the presence of the emperor. You're always supposed to be happy and upbeat." And but somehow he wins favor. He throws. Interestingly, in the book of Nehemiah, we have a. One of the things we see is that there are recorded. I believe it's eleven, eleven prayers of Nehemiah during this whole ordeal. It, he often broke off in the middle of telling a story in the middle of an incident. It'd say Nehemiah prayed, mm-hmm. and and this early uh, story, the prayer number one, he's before the emperor, and the emperor's asking him, "What's wrong?" And so. Nehemiah quickly throws up a prayer. Oh, God, give me wisdom. Help me to. And so we have these recorded prayers of Nehemiah throughout the book, which to me are very, very interesting, just fascinating and very instructive. But, OK, so he's he's a cupbearer, which is a position of authority, right? It's, I mean, it's uh, probably the single most important position. Tell us why. Because you're familiar with the old story about, uh, in Genesis, uh, the cupbearer and the baker that was put in jail with uh, Joseph. Joseph, huh? Now, what is going on there? Why is the cupbearer more guilty than the baker? Remember, one gets hung, one does not. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, the cupbearer is supposed to be the food taster, right? Well, he, uh, the, the wine, the you, food. You could you could poison either method. It could poison the king. Keep the emperor from being poisoned, uh-huh. but that was a job. But he had the potential of being. Uh, well, yeah. here's the difference. You see, if, let's say, a fly got into the bread, it had to be in the bread and be there for a longer time and be baked into the bread, which means nobody is watching the dough, right? Okay. But. In the cup era, somebody could slip slip in poison just th- 10 seconds earlier, five seconds. It could happen immediately. So uh, the person that would, the baker would get hung, but the cup bearer, because there would be something in the bread that caused him to go there, and that indicates that he was more negligent. He wasn't paying attention for a long time. So a close person that would be guarding was the, the cup bearer, the person that actually tasted what the wine or whatever before the king would. All right, so Nehemiah was in this trusted, powerful position. Well, and uh, yeah, and since you're talking about he's coming back, he's building the wall, he's kind of like the administrator making things happen, right? Right, exactly. He's more as a, a Donald Trump kind of guy. Uh, he's going to build a wall, uh, and he's going to make Mexico hey, pay for it. you got it. You caught on so fast. <laughs> I, I get it. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, so, but to something else, I want to take us on the journey just for 10 seconds. Well, he did build a wall, and he did make Babylon yeah, course, pay for it, didn't he? Of course, How about he did. That? Hey. Yeah, they, they, that see, is so good, Sophie. But, I'm, I, I'm slow, but I get there. Yeah, that's okay. You know, we got time to pick you up. All right. Uh, the, uh, so, but I want to tell you what's going on. You know, and, and I'm going to show you over in uh, chapter uh, 13 of uh, Nehemiah. He's talking about starting at uh, verse 15. At okay. that time I saw men in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and others bringing heaps of grain. 
Now, obviously, they're violating the Sabbath, right? Okay. Uh-huh. And we already understood that Nehemiah is like the administrator, the builder of the wall. He's really getting things done, right? Okay. Now, why is this built right in there? And the answer would be back in the book of Exodus. Okay. Because when you go through the book of Exodus, you read all these chapters. Sometimes it seems really hard because you got these planks and these rings and these gold rings and all these details, right? Yes. And then suddenly, and the way we tend to read this the, uh, in our culture today, you come up on, after that thing is all built, the tabernacle in the world is the Mishkan, it talks suddenly about the Sabbath. And we tend to think, oh, well, that's the day we go. That's not what that's talking about. If I don't have a Sabbath for this plan, I'm building this, this temple, let's say, or even a church, then all I have is a big, empty building. I want you to think of the Sabbath as a, as part of the roof. It's a plank itself. It has to be built in and have become part of that building. And so when you're reading about the Sabbath, and it comes right at the end of the, all the building uh-huh. in, in Exodus. And so it's actually part of the building. So okay. if it's not part of, it's just the building. It has to have that particular material. That material is the Sabbath. Would it explain, you know, what the building is for? What no, the... not what it's for. You got to think of it actually being part of. It's okay. the roof, you might say, or the floor, or the chair. It's it just like everything else there. It's part of the material that makes the building. Without, without, uh-huh. without the um, the Sabbath. You just got a building. You just have a building. So it's actually a plank in the building, you might say. Okay, all right. Now, look over here in verse 17 of 13. Look what it says. Chapter what? Of Uh, Nehemiah? 13, 17, Nehemiah. Okay. I criticized the nobles of Judah, saying to them, What evil thing is it that you are doing, profaning the Sabbath day? And that's because they're working, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, maybe not just so. Let's see what else it says. Okay. This is just what your ancestors did for how it got God brought in all the misfortune on us and on this city. And now you give cause for further wrath against Israel by profaning the Sabbath. What he's trying to tell them is, look, let's get this back because this is how we got in trouble before. We did not honor the Sabbath in this this building. So what's happening is, if we keep doing this, bad things happen. We must learn our lessons from the past. The stories and the lessons teach us what we should do in the future. And so he's actually saying, you guys are doing this, and you shouldn't be doing this, because it's not just the work. By the way, the work that's uh, sort of, quote-unquote, not supposed to be done on the Sabbath is the work, we learn this from Exodus, is not all work. Uh-huh. It's only the particular kind of work that's required to actually build the temple. So we they looked at all the work because on the Sabbath they had to stop from the work. What work? The physical work to build the temple. So other kind of work may not count. But it's the physical kind of work that you would use to build the building. Ooh, isn't that a little bit controversial, even in the Jewish world? What's that? Uh, because aren't there some who think it's, think of that as any kind of work, no matter what? Um, even I, I think Jesus ran into that, right? Some kind of Jesus was the greatest sponsor of not working on the Sabbath. 
Yes, but on the other hand, he was accused of working on the Sabbath in that he did miracles. Mm, I would suggest He healed you, people. He allowed uh, his disciples. No, 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 no. The Jewish law clearly is. Now, please listen. This is okay, very okay. important. The Jewish law is and always has been, and Jesus was actually quoting Jewish law. There, the Sabbath can be, quote-unquote, profaned to help a human being or to save a human life. So what he's doing is not... Anybody criticizes him at that time? I know what you're talking about. The man with the withered hand. Yes. So if that's the case... The people criticizing him were the ones in error, and Jesus was supporting it because Jewish law is that you must help. Well, somebody and the ones criticizing, I guess my point is the ones criticizing uh, were Jews. Uh, so I'm just saying, yes, it, yes. in Jewish so circles. They, they would have been wrong, yes. There, there, there is some, um, some who don't share that. But, but of course, you have the right opinion, so I understand that. Yeah, well, Jesus had the right opinion in that story <laughs> okay, that, that it's okay to help somebody. In fact, right. I can tell you, one of the greatest rabbis that they've ever known, he, on Yom Kippur, the most holy day, he left his bima, his pulpit, to go help a woman who is in labor to have a baby. And that's okay, because he's helping somebody. <laughs> what a lesson, what a lesson. Well, it's interesting, after that uh, experience in Nehemiah chapter 13, uh, it's the, the, uh, not the final of these prayers, uh, but we have th- three more. Nehemiah offers up, this is an example of one of those prayers that he offers up, and he he's trying to correct this error that he sees there going on and uh, that's going to hurt the people of God, and he, I commanded the Levites to purify themselves, to guard the gates in order to preserve the holiness of the Sabbath. And, uh, you know, he takes steps to correct this error that he found. And then he says, remember this good deed also, O my God. Have compassion on me according to your great and unfailing love. So he, he's calling upon the Lord at this time to remember all these things I've done in your favor, Lord. I'm, I'm working hard for you. You know, to it's so that. interesting you say that because I, I, before we came here tonight, I sent an email to uh, uh, a couple, I think you know this, Jim and Lynn. And, and as soon as I did it, this computer I was using, it just does it on its own. And it sends the message sometimes two and three times. And I look and say, oh, so I got to get that fixed. But what happens is it sent it two or three times, and I thought, they're going to think I'm not sending the same email two or three times. <laughs> anyway. Well, I, I get some of your emails. And well, you I know, and other people have times. told me that the computer's doing it, so we're getting it fixed tomorrow. <laughs> okay. I get it on all my different email addresses, but I don't ever mind because I enjoy hearing from Jacob. Uh, the other thing is is that right after this incident that you've mentioned in Chapter 13, we we have another example of this idea the men of judah marrying women from ashdod ammon moab and, and again not an ethnic or racial thing but they they weren't following after the abraham god of abraham isaac and jacob after jehovah uh, uh Yahweh. and so i confronted them and called down curses on them i beat some of them he says here and and, and pulled out their hair <laughs> i made them swear in the name of god that they would not let their children in, intermarry with the pagan people of the land so we have another example of this uh of this idea that the, well let's 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 get put it in context Read yeah okay part, 23 says at that time i also saw that the these jews had married ashadite ammonite Moabite women, quite a number of their children spoke the language of Esdod and the language of those various peoples, but did not know how to speak the language of Judah. Okay. We're looking at people and children who are actually taught to worship other gods and do other things. 
And so, therefore, you see the heresy number two, where you're taking all the creation of the world and attributing it to their wow. God as if he did it. And some of these people did horrible, horrible things. They believed, and some of them believed in killing their firstborn to get married. Sure, heaven. sure. And I will tell you, comparatively speaking, tell me that isn't consistent today. Boy, I'm going to get myself in trouble now. Uh, with people that believe, if I send my child in today with a bomb strapped to me, and they, my child blows himself up and kills a few other people, I get me and some of my folks into Islam heaven. Yeah. What an odd religion. And it's the same thing that took yeah, place back yeah. then about sacrificing a child so you could get into heaven. Oh, yeah. It's exactly. ridiculous. It really is. And, uh, and, and, and even devout or sincere or genuine uh, people uh, from Muslim background. Go ahead, Sophie. They, Let they us condemn it. They would have to condemn it as well, and hopefully, uh, maybe hopefully, more hopefully. and more are doing And, so. and I'd not like to say that statement I tried to say last week. Go ahead. Uh, remember, be the kind of person you would like to have for a parent. Said it. <laughs> you got me thinking with that one. Very good. Thanks, everyone, for joining. We'll see you next Sunday night here on the Bible Live Quiz Show. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture and is brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The, the Bible, Bible Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.